the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? And it's in the Bible. We kicked off the series last week in the book of Ecclesiastes, this obscure Old Testament book. But when I read this as a 17-year-old in my basement in Pretty Prairie, Kansas, a town of 600 people, and I discovered this book and I read it for at least seemingly the very first time, it was a breath of fresh air to me. Um, I didn't necessarily understand it, and there's way more to it as you get into the book and as you finish the book. But to me, it was so life-giving somehow, and yet it's pessimistic, and it's sort of depressing, and it's certainly negative. And I like to be a positive person. I try to be a positive person, but I think I'm also a realist. And I, I could relate with this, this teacher sort of saying, it's all, it's all thing. It's all like the grass of the field. It's here today, gone tomorrow. That's what life is. So we started this book, we, we jumped into this last week. I started by asking the question, just what's the point of life on earth? Why are we here? Do you ever think about that? Have you ever thought of that? Maybe some of you weren't here last week and you're like, wow, this is sort of heavy tonight. Like, what's going on? But what, what are we doing here with this, just with life? Have you ever thought about that? What's the point of this? Yes, you work and you make money, but then... Maybe for you, a grandparent died recently. I had that happen this summer, lost a grandpa. And you just go, life really isn't very long. We all feel like it. Young, it's a school day in and day out. What are we doing here? We're born, we're educated, 12 grades, and then four grades probably after that, or four years of college, and then maybe two more years, or maybe four more years, or maybe you go on and on. And then you work. Day in and day out, you just work. That's what your parents do, don't they? for 50 or 60 years. And then someday you go, I'm gonna retire. I need something to do. So you still just work? You're a heart greeter, because why not? I just want a no-stress job. And so you do something, and then you die. And then what happens? It's all just sort of gone. Um, what's the point of all this? And as we're considering in this book, what if we factor God out of the equation? Like, what if all there is really is just this here now, life under the sun? That's the experiment with this book, so to speak. Now, here's the thing. First of all, did anybody, I, I dare ask this question, but I, I somewhat gave homework at the end of last week, and like, you don't, not a big deal if you didn't do it. Anybody read, anybody do the homework? A couple of you, that's awesome. All right, I see some hands. Don't be shy, it's okay. That's awesome. I was just three chapters. Um, I love it. Um, you sort of know, you're starting to get to the, the gist of this book. And so we need to dive more in text tonight. Um, I was thinking this. Some of you, though, I hope last week, you didn't hear all of this, and you see life without Jesus, and you go, I think this whole thing, the way you interpreted it, even last week, because maybe I, I'm not a great communicator, you just thought that's taught non-Christians. Like, we're really in this book, it's just from a non-Christian perspective, a non-believing perspective. And certainly maybe it is, but I'm not so sure. I'm saying that I think plenty of times, those of you in here that are Christians, find yourself here, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, or you will at some point, that something crazy in your life is going to happen, and you go, what is the point of all this? If you're even with God, 
Sometimes the default mode is we just forget about God, and we live for the moment, and we live for the here and now. This guy, this teacher, seemingly is not living for the moment, and yet he goes, eternity, there must not, he doesn't have an eternal perspective either. So what is going on? Um, here's one thing we didn't get to last week. So last week was sort of an introduction, but this week is sort of a little more introduction. We're going to dive more into the rest of the book. Certainly want to hit more of, we only looked at three verses last week, so we're going to read a lot more text tonight. But who's writing this book? So if you have a Bible or if you don't, if you have a Bible, would you open it? If you haven't already, if you don't have a Bible, and if you don't want to stand up right now and in front of everybody and get one off the Bible carts, pull out your smartphone uh, and open the Bible app. It's better than nothing. Maybe you don't have a phone, or it'll be on the screen. But I want to question who's writing this book just to go, we're just going to do basic Bible interpretation, but I think it's good to do this. And so look at verse 1 again. It says this, so think about this. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. And then there's a colon, and then he quotes, meaningless, meaningless. Um, What a lot of commentators and historians are starting to see is these are the words of the teacher. Another voice, the author, is not the same person as the teacher. The author who was actually writing this, you know, pen to paper or whatever it was then, right? Ink to parchment or whatever, uh, however they wrote this down um, way back when. The author was different than this teacher person because he sort of introduces the teacher, son of David, king of Jerusalem, but then quotes, quotes him. Kind of interesting, right? What's better is at the end of the book. So keep your thumb here or finger here. Flip to the chapter 12 if you have a Bible open. Flip to the last chapter. I'm going to chew up my mint here. I'll some Altoids. Sorry about that. Chapter 12, verse 8. He ends just like he begins in verse 2. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Verse 9, though, suddenly the, the author steps in, and it's as if the teacher is done. The whole quote is done. And then it says this, not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The search to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. So who's speaking there? Again, just basic Bible study, Bible interpretation. Maybe this is this teacher referring to him the third person, and just sort of speaking out of character. We're not sure. Um, of course, who's, who's the teacher? Plenty of people read Son of David, King in Jerusalem, and historically this book has been attributed to King Solomon. If you know anything, if you've grown up going to church, if you know the book of Proverbs, you think it's, it's maybe King Solomon. In fact, if you look at the book of Proverbs, so there's three wisdom books in the Old Testament. Proverbs is one, Ecclesiastes in one is one, and Job is one. But if you go to the first page of Proverbs, it just says the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king in Jerusalem. He just comes out and says who's writing. But Ecclesiastes doesn't do that, so that's sort of odd. And then even if we want to go a little further, let's get back to chapter 1. Look, if you have Ecclesiastes open, look at chapter 1, verse 16. All right, I got to get there. Quotes. So he's writing, everything's meaningless, verse 16. So this is the teacher speaking. And he says, I said to myself, Look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem. Before me, I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Again, some of you are like, who cares? But if you like grew up going to church, he says, I've, inc- 
I, I have more wisdom than anyone who's ruled over Jerusalem before me. King Solomon, who was the king before Solomon was? David. There was only two kings in Israel, over Israel, before Solomon. And only one of them, his father David, ruled in Jerusalem. David made Jerusalem the capital. So again, that's sort of weird where you go, this sounds like Solomon. But here he's basically then saying, I've increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before, before me, namely just my dad. And so, like, that doesn't make a lot of sense either. And so, um, certainly in more recent people, I don't think this was King Solomon. Why doesn't he just come out and say that's who he is? Um, some scholars, one guy called it, he did his doctoral dissertation on this topic, and he called it, he called it royal fictional autobiography. That there was a genre back in, what, ancient times, um, that it was likely a royal, someone in the royal line, um, a descendant of King David, that was sort of playing Saul, like sort of portraying a Solomon-like Didn't just come out and say that. Everyone would have known that that wasn't really the author. Um, but whatever the case, the author is different than the teacher. Now, real quick, why is it called Ecclesiastes? So, the teacher, this book is written in Hebrew. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew, just minor Bible trivia here. Um, and sometime later on, the New Testament is mostly written in Greek or Aramaic, I believe. Parts of it are Aramaic. But so they, interpret, they, they translated the Hebrew Old Testament to Greek. It's called the Septuagint. So this, this word for teacher here, verse 1, the words of the teacher is this Hebrew word kohelet, which just means teacher, preacher, public speaker. That's what I'm doing right now, I guess. I'm teaching, I'm preaching. Um, Greek, that word is Ecclesiastes. So essentially, the, this book is just the teacher, words of the teacher. Again, you sort of go, if, if the teacher, like, it's not a very good teacher, this book is very, very dark. Well, not very dark, but it's pessimistic. It's maybe sort of depressing to some of you. It's certainly negative. But so that's sort of what's going on here as far as who the, who the teacher is. Um, now, if this is Solomon, we certainly, I mean, historically, Solomon was one of the most, it was the, the wisest person who ever lived, according to the Bible. He was one of the most wealthy people who's ever lived. Um, so if anybody could get a hint into the meaning of life, and it, if anybody could afford all of these experiments that this teacher sets about doing, it would be Solomon. He had the money to do it. He, had the fa he was a king, and he amassed all kinds of wealth. And so certainly, this sounds like Solomon. Um, but was it really? So we, I want to dive in a bit more tonight. Um, now, here's one more thing. So last week, we unpacked this primary word translated meaningless. The Hebrew word hevel. Looks like hebel. It's pronounced hevel. Hevel. Um, but here's the thing. We said this last week. The reason I don't think that's the, great, the best translation of that word, and again, who am I to like say that? But plenty of people are saying this. Do not interpret this word when you read the book as if this teacher comes along, the writer of, of Ecclesiastes, and sort of says, I've done all these experiments in life. I've tried all these different things, and I have come to the conclusion life is meaningless. That's not the case. Again, we last week, if you missed it, the word hevel means smoke or vapor. It was a metaphor. It means it's fleeting. It means it's temporary. Um, I really like the, the ESV, I think, gets it maybe a little closer when they just say it's vanity. And you go, what does that mean? Saying all of life, this is all in vain. He starts using these examples of what's work for? Because you toil and you make all this money, but then you die. And what happens to all your wealth? You just goes on to other people who haven't worked for it. He said it's, it's smoke or it's fleeting. This whole life is fleeting. Or at the same time, it's, it's a paradox. It's mysterious. 
Sometimes life does not happen the way we expect it to happen. And we certainly like control as Americans, and we want to control our lives, and we want our lives to go a certain way. He goes, what is the meaning of life? I don't know. The teacher says, I haven't figured it out, but don't read this and say, because at the end of the book, he sort of does have some concluding thoughts, and he sort of does allude to the meaning of life. We're going to close this, this series in two weeks, and we'll finally get to that, and it'll be all on chapter 12. But so, um, let's dive into this. So, 28 times this word, hevel, is used. It's perplexing. The second main theme is repeated 27, and that's this phrase, under the sun. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? If this life is all there is, what if we factored God out and it's just life under the sun? So check this out. Chapter 1, 3. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south, it turns to the north, round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. Isn't that odd? Have you ever thought about, like, the Mississippi River, the Missouri River, like, it all? Why does the ocean not fill up and overflow? But it just doesn't. It's just this continuous cycle. Verse 8, all things are wearisome, says the teacher. More than one can say, the eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. Is that true? We go nowadays, like, we have the internet in our pockets, we never get tired of seeing another, another YouTube video or another meme. We just like, I never get tired of this. Have you guys ever thought, like, you never get tired of eating certain things? I could literally have pizza every night for supper, and I would really enjoy that. Like, I just don't get sick of it. it it's all circlic, like, cyclical. Like, it just keeps over and over again. Um, verse 9, what has been will be again. What done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. What are you thinking of right now? I read this. Every time I read this, I go, you go, uh, smart, right? Well, the iPhone, that's new. Computers, like, those are new. This dude doesn't know what he's talking about. And yet, what's an iPhone? What's a laptop? Like, uh, what, phone is just a, a different way for it. What do we do with an iPhone? We communicate with each other, social media, we call people, we text people. It's an entertainment device. We play games on it. But hasn't entertainment always been around? There's always been some form of entertainment done. There's always been some way of communicating and connecting with people. Aren't computers and all this technology, isn't that just an extension of our mouths and our ears and our eyes? There's nothing new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No members of former generations. How many of you guys woke up this morning and thought about your great-great-grandfather? Anybody in here? You don't care. That's, that's like an abomination to your great-great-grandfather, but you don't care. We don't think about it. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. A new topic, wisdom is meaningless. He says, I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are hevel, a chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking counted. little proverb there. He's saying life's broken. What's crooked can't be straightened out. What's lacking can't be counted. He says, I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over, over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. 
I applied myself to, to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. I tried to live with like foolishness, to live for foolishness. Um, but I learned this too, is a chasing after the wind. With much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. Pleasure, chapter two. Like I soaked up, when I was a high school 17-year-old, I was like, chapters one and two, this is like, this is me. This is, I'm trying to find happiness somewhere. Check out chapter two. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be hevel. It always passed. It was fleeting. It was over. I went to party on the weekend. The party was great, but it's always Monday again. Monday always comes. Laughter, I said, verse 2, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind still got in me wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. And so I sort of skim here. He says he undertook great projects. He started gardens. He planted trees. He... Um, he had all kinds of sin, basically. It was wine, women, and song. He tried all these different things. Uh, check this out, verse 9. This will be on the screens. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me, and in all this my wisdom stayed me. Check out this verse. This is incredible. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. Nothing. Can you imagine being in that place? If you're as wealthy as Bill Gates or Warren Buffett, and you could just get anyone. And I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Maybe a little bit of delight. But when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was hevel. It was lasping the wind. It didn't last. It was temporary. Nothing was gained under the sun. Um, he goes on to say, he says, wisdom is, is hevel. Folly and foolishness is hevel. Uh, in half of chapter 2, toil, he says, work is hevel. It's fleeting. Who cares? Like I said, he says, I get all this money, but someday I'm going to die, and I'm going to give it all to the person who comes after me. You guys, I don't know what the, like, what the rate is. You know, there's all kinds of things. Heart disease is, like, off the charts. Cancer. Oh, every day. I mean, some of you, there, there's people in this room, I think. People have lost parents in this room because they're... There's all kinds of brokenness. There's all kinds of like, I don't know what the rate is for cancer right now. You know what the mortality rate is? Maybe I've said this before. This statistic is like crazy. You know what the mortality rate is? 100%. You know what that means? Everybody dies. Did you, you guys realize that? The mortality rate is 100%. And it's, it's a terrible thing to say like if you die young, but you know what? Like it's just tragic. Anytime people die, some people die way too young. Sometimes... You know, I'm totally trying to be serious. Like, we've lost parents. My grandpa died this summer, but he was 91 years old, and he just died of old age. But you know what? Everybody dies because someday we're all pass it on to somebody else. Um, get to chapter 4. Just, I'm just flipping through. He says advancement is hevel. Uh, chapter 5, he says riches are hevel. I tried to get all this money. Hevel, it's meaningless. It's smoke. It's vaporing. But so how do we live? What do we do with all this? I want you to start to see, and I'm almost out of time. I'm just going to give one or two examples here, and you're going to look up more in small groups. He starts to get these little glimmers of hope, though. And as I said, I'm barely even, there's not a conclusion yet. It's just like, what is life all about? What's the meaning of all this? And we'll get to the conclusion next week's a night of worship, and in two weeks we'll conclude. But look at chapter, the very end of chapter 2. Chapter 2, look at verse 22 to 
More of the same. He says, what do people get for all their toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? What do they get? All their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. Too is hevel. But then suddenly, he sort of turns a corner. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God, for without him can eat or find enjoyment. So suddenly, it's like life is heaven, darkness, and smoke, and vapor. But suddenly, you know what you should do? Like, there's nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in life. 3 verse 9, what do, what do workers gain from all their, all their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He's made everything beautiful in its time. He said eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. And then he turns a corner again. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. Um, and on and on he goes. Life is meaningless. It's heavy. It's temporary. And yet, there's nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work. Sort of the eat and drink and be merry. Have you heard that phrase before? Eat, drink, merry. I think it goes, tomorrow we die. I don't know what that's from. But some of this is like the words of the teacher. Over and over again, there's three or four more throughout the whole book. I want you to look up three of these in small groups tonight. Um, what does he say life is about? It's fleeting. It's short. It's temporary. But he goes, enjoy life. Like, you have to learn to enjoy the small. Is God here? Does he love you? Yes, he really does. We might not feel like he's close. He's cl you might not feel his presence sometimes. You might not feel like he cares about you. But as you go through the ups and downs of life, learn to enjoy the small things and drink and enjoy your work. And if you find a spouse that's awesome and, and like have a great marriage and work for a marriage, um, we tend to always think it's either or. Like is life hevel and dark and vapor? And, or is it like enjoy life? Is that really how he ends? No, like I said, we'll get there in two weeks. But God gives us little gifts all the time. Now, here's my final thing. Here's my driving point tonight, and I'm um, just say it as it is in my notes. I don't want to screw this up. We see failures and disappointments as life in life as obstacles. When you go through failures, when you have disappointments, and we all do, we see them as obstacles to be overcome. We get frustrated. We get angry. Um, the teacher says... It's really life's failures and obstacles and disappointments that are the key to embracing true joy. Like, if you actually had a and could control every, I mean, think of the, the best actors and actresses out there who are just filthy rich. Tom Cruise, maybe he's not the best example. Tom Hanks. Um, Julia Roberts, if you know who that is. Can just like, sort of like kick their feet. They have like five houses all over the world. Um, are they happy? I think, I think you guys, even if you could control everything in your life, every little part of your destiny, I still do not think you would be happy. We see failures as obstacles. The teacher, I think you guys, sees failures and disappointments as opportunity. That we all face epic fail moments in life. It's like the mama bird that throws a baby bird out of the nest. It seems so cruel, seems so like, why would you do that? You're going to kill your baby. No, the baby has to learn to fly. And for many of you, you have not experienced that yet, but like 
in May or not May, next August, because you're a senior, your mama bird's going to kick you out of the nest. And maybe you'll still live at home. For a lot of people, you guys, their life gets shaken. You have a life quake, as Tim Keller would say, when you go off to college or when you, I don't know, when you move out if you don't go to college, maybe when you get married, when life suddenly turns a corner and it changes. But you have to see that the obstacles and the disappointments in your life are opportunity to true joy. And if you want true and lasting happiness, you've got to see. I think the teacher is trying to teach us something. And yes, life is short and vapor and smoke and it's temporary, it's fleeting, it's hevel. And yet he says, enjoy life. Start to see the small things as, as uh, symbols or signs for what is yet to come. And we'll get to that in two weeks. You guys, everybody, every young person today wants life to be an adventure. And you want life to be this amazing thing. And you look on Facebook and it looks like all your friends' lives are amazing and incredible. And, and so that's why there's like rampant rates of depression and anxiety because of social media. Life is fairly like, you guys, life is fairly hevel. And yet it's not. And yet it's amazing. And there's all kinds of, there is pizza to eat. And there is like a good conversation with friends late at night over coffee. And there's, all, and there's a spouse you can meet. You guys, I woman here at Brookside, and she's amazing. Like, I love being married to Leslie. We just were tribe leaders together. And Jeff Dart was like, you should talk to her. And I was like, I have no chance. And then we got married. And now we have three beautiful, it's like life is so full of like just little blessings all over the place. Eat and drink. It's like feasting. It's food and it's friends. So we're going to wrap this up in two weeks. I would encourage you, or later, or maybe you get, you know, after your homework's done tonight, late at night, jump into this book a little more. And if you haven't read chapter 12 yet, you need to get to chapter 12, but we'll wrap it up in two weeks.